what makes you think you're a Christian? Why do you think that you're born again? Why do you think you're saved? I hope that James has been just dealing with you as it's been dealing with me. That we would be able to say, take a look at my life. I am a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of Jesus. I'm not the Christ, but the Holy Spirit is conforming me into the image of Christ day by day by day. What about you? What about you? And so not only does this book show us that there will be evidence in our life that our faith is real, but this chapter narrows down that fact by telling us that faith perseveres. From chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 20, we are told faith will persevere. Faith will endure. It'll keep on keeping on. If you have a genuine faith in Christ, if you have been born again, a new life, regenerated, adopted in to the family of God, children of God, your faith, you born again one, you'll endure. You'll endure. You'll persevere. And these final verses show us how does that happen? How is that possible? Verse 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. So let's just pull this apart for a second. This is written to brethren. This is going to be a slow day, you're thinking. We're going to stop word by word all the way through these two verses. Brethren, it's important studying the word like this because James has actually been writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. And so there's times that he's speaking to Christians and it's evident because he's calling them brethren. And then then he's times there's times that he's talking to posers that are going to hear this letter that have not been born again. So it's important to just note right now he's talking to brethren. Okay? Brethren, Christians, If anyone among you wanders from the truth. And so among the Christians, there would be someone who's among that group of brothers. So he's a brother. He's named a brother. He's been professing faith in Christ. This is a brother among the 12 tribes that have been scattered abroad. And then they wander from the truth. Preparing Bible studies isn't that hard. You're like, brother, someone's among you, and then they wander. Believe it or not, I have no degree, okay? (laughs) You pay me. Can you believe that? Okay. They wander from the truth, which leads us to believe that they were what? In the truth. Saturated in the truth. In in the process of having their mind conform to the truth, but then they wander. You cattle ranchers or shepherds or 4-H'ers or whatever it might be, picture that in your agriculture understanding. Someone that wanders away, strays from the truth. They're led astray. They've 
been deceived. How quickly that happens. How subtly that happens. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then that same chapter in verse 21 says, by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. So Paul, in his letter to his disciple Timothy, he says that one thing, just one among many, that can cause us to stray, that can cause us to wander, is that we begin to love money. And Jesus says that, that for some people, when the word of God comes into their heart and, and like a seed and it is planted and it germinates and it begins to grow, that the thorns will come and choke out that plant, will choke out that seed so that it dies and it cannot grow and it cannot bear fruit. And then Jesus interprets that by telling us that that is, that, that the thorns are the cares of this world. And so they're going, they're among Christians, they're, they're, they're walking in truth, and then just so subtly, just as a, a thorn begins to grow up out of the ground to go to consume, it's so subtly. It doesn't happen right in one day. It happens over a few days when you're walking by and you don't look that day. You don't, you don't have your, you know, your roundup with you or whatever to squirt it, you know, and, and you just, and all of a sudden it's overtaking. You know, as you're on cattle drives and you're moving the cattle and, you know, you've got a couple guys and you're moving the herd and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you just got one calf or, you know, you've got one mother cow that she's kind of heading back, you know, and, and if, if you're not paying attention, she's miles back. It can happen so subtly to wander from the truth. It's a good picture this morning. Most people don't even wander deliberately. They don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to stray from the truth this morning. Like, obviously, that thought, first thought, is like, that's the devil. I'm not going to do that. It's not often deliberately. It just sort of happens. Nonetheless, we get off track and get in danger. Hebrews uses the words, Drift away. Drift away. And if you've been around boats that much or spent much time out on the coast, you're swimming in one area or you're surfing in one area, and the next thing you know, you're down the beach hundreds of yards from where you started. Or your boat has drifted far off course. And Hebrews tells us there's a drain, danger in drifting away. Now, James concludes with this because this is exactly what he's endeavored to deal with through this whole challenging letter to us. To confront those who have wandered from a living, active faith, endeavoring to save their souls from death by demanding that they not only hear the word, but do the word because a living faith will have its proof. And so we must ask this morning, am I a wanderer? Am I a drifter? That's uncomfortable because we don't want the answer to be yes. 
And I have even had to bring my heart before the Lord this week and say, Lord, am I a drifter? Am I a wanderer? This doesn't happen deliberately. This just doesn't just happen one day. Are the things that we're teaching here, are they truth from the scripture? Are we wandering or drifting? You must ask that today, sincerely before the Lord. And then ask, what am I going to do if I am? Maybe you were one that was baptized this Easter. And the excitement of what the Holy Spirit was doing, you were among the some 45 to 50 people that just heard the call to come and make a public declaration of your faith in Christ and you did that, and you were so excited, and for a week you were excited and passionately serving God, following after God. Two weeks goes by, the passion's there. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. Your heat has become cold, nay, lukewarm. Our Christianity is not just... Some one time, boom, I raised my hand at a, at a crusade. Or boom, I went up front and got... Man, we, we must continue, the book of Hebrews warns us. Continue lest we fall away. Lest we drift away. Lest we wander. To quote Alistair Begg, who you guys probably hear on the radio often in the mornings, 8 o'clock. And uh, I might actually call him a friend as I had dinner with him last year, but he probably doesn't remember who I am, so there you go. Actually, he goes, how could I ever forget the name Rory Rogers, you know? <laughs> I was like, Ooh. anyways, no name dropping around here. Just one of, my, one of my mentors, I consider. And he actually was quoting the Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane. McShane quoting the scripture, gray hairs are hair and are here, excuse me, gray hairs are here and there upon them, yet he knows it not. Just think about that for a second. Gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knows it not. Anybody? 33 right here, the age of our Lord, and they're coming in. It's crazy. But he says, what are you going to do with that text? Gray hairs are here and there upon them, yet he knows it not. Well, let me tell you what McShane did with it. He said, these words describe the state of secret backsliding. The most dangerous, perhaps, of any. And real quick, let me just define backsliding. Backsliding is a word that the scripture uses. We'll read from Jeremiah in just a little bit when Jeremiah uses that word backslidings. But literally it's speaking of animals that are sliding backwards in their own fecal material. And again, those of you that you know, work with cattle and you're loading them into the stock trucks and it's a snowy day, it's just slick and wet and you guys know what it's like. And you know, those cows go down and next thing you know they're like wedged in the chute. That's a picture of us when we backslide in our own filth, in sin, and we go down. The scriptures speak of that. 
And so these words describe the state of secret backsliding, the most dangerous perhaps of any. It's a common thing for persons growing up in years to turn old and gray-headed without observing it. Most people are unwilling to be thought old. They do not love to notice the progress of decay and the marks of old age are allowed to steal upon them unobserved. And then McShane says somewhat remarkably, the teeth drop out one by one. Bag says this is a comment made on the time in which he lived and also on Scottish dentistry. The hand loses its steadiness. The limbs lose their elasticity. The eye becomes dim and gray hairs are here and there upon the head. And we are at old age before we are aware. And so it is in the decay of the soul, in divine things, it creeps upon us in such a way that we are unobservant of and when confronted by, often unwilling to face. And he goes on to say to his congregation, Alas, my friends, it is plain from ourselves, brethren. We as a congregation are a monument that there is such a thing as spiritual decay. It seems to be that that takes confidence and courage and striking honesty on the part of the pastor in St. Peter's, there in Dundee, Scotland. And equal courage and honesty is called for from this pulpit among this congregation, recognizing that every one of us who turns open the scriptures is confronted by the scriptures face to face. So this is not a call to those who've never professed faith in Jesus, but to those who were a regular part of, perhaps baptized into the church, and since their profession of faith, they have gone. They are, as the army says, absent without leave. AWOL. And our church is an example of that. Just running back to take care of something after worship, throw that video up there, someone pursues me and in the sound booth says, hey, where has so-and-so been? I said, we need to pursue them. Where has so-and-so been? This happens in our church in Prineville, wandering from the truth. Truth as it's found in scriptures, embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. We and they could so quickly distance ourselves from Jesus. Departing in our minds from the things that we once held dear and sacred. And first it appears so subtly as in a conversation, you know what, I no longer think of God like that. As the scripture says, I think of God like this now. It's my own interpretation. These people usually are trying to reconfigure God so that they can allow for their sinful actions. And we begin to think less and less and less of Jesus, thinking little of Jesus, so that we can have little faith in Jesus, that one day he truly will come to judge the living and the dead. We begin to think that God is not as concerned about the things that we once felt he was. Spurgeon says, Every error has its own outgrow, as all decay has its own fungus. When truth is dominant, morality and holiness are abundant. 
But when error comes to the front, godly living retreats in shame. James has told us that every sin is an inside job in our own heart. We are led away by our own desires and enticed. The word wander here in our text is translated into English, planet. Not interesting. Planet. As planets wander around the solar system, perhaps. It's not some big dramatic activity. It's something that we barely notice. A whole year goes by before we notice the position of the sun in the sky has changed. Or you've got to have a special telescope to really notice the difference or have some sort of education, not dramatic activity. It starts out as a casual indifference to the path that is narrow. Then there's a growing disinclination to even be on that path. Then there's a stepping off of the path until there's a full stepping onto another path that is wide and broad and leads to death and destruction. If someone among you wanders from the truth, but then our verse goes on to say, and someone turns him back, there's a responsibility. Someone Go turn him back. There's prayer here over this. There's mutual care for one another in this. That we need to all watch out for each other. Each one of us. Not as the KGB does. Spying on people and you know putting a cup up to a door and trying to hear what they're saying. And Facebook stalking or whatever else but just through family involvement with each other. Keeping short accounts with one another, knowing how we're doing, living in community. Just as parents keep track of children, husbands keep track of their wives, wives keep track of their husbands, friends know where friends are. It kind of works in a self-cleansing way when it's working right. Just sharing with one another. Man, it looks like you're not into the faith in the way that you once were. How are you doing? And you used to be super involved in the regular gatherings and the discipleship programs here. And, and you're just not involved anymore. You haven't been to church in three weeks. Where, where have you been? Are you doing Okay. Oh, family vacation gone, out of the country. That happens, right? We all understand that. And so many times people, they miss one Sunday and it's easier to miss the next Sunday and pretty soon it's two Sundays and now I feel so condemned. I can't go back to church because everybody's thinking about me that I've been, no one's thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. I've been gone three Sundays, you know. Just mutual care about each other because we love each other. Honey, you haven't come home in three weeks. Is it okay if I ask how you've been? (laughs) Of course it is. How have you been? Are you doing okay? I notice you don't pack your Bible with you anymore. I notice that you were at such and such a place. Going after our brothers, pursuing them, 
causing this brother to change their beliefs and return and repent. Bengal writes, everyone ought to seek the salvation of everyone. And so you might think, you know, I run the words on the computer here, or I'm on the janitorial ministry team. That's not my role. It's your role. I'm in children's ministry. That's not my role. That's the pastor's role. It's your role. It's our role. Everyone ought to seek the salvation of everyone. This is how God accomplishes the doctrine of eternal security. This is one of the ways that God does it. To read from David David Platt, eternal security is the doctrine or the truth that a Christian's salvation is secure for all eternity. Now, recognizing this is kind of an open-handed issue in the church, and there's Christians that you know believe that, that people could leave their salvation. In fact, I've taught that way, and I've taught the other way, and I've gone back and forth and wrestled and read both opinions. And man, just as I'm continually a student of the Word, I'm at the place that, man, those that are truly born again, and, and only the Lord knows who that is, right? Those who are truly born again, he will work out their salvation to the end. He will make that happen. And this is one of the ways that that happens, okay? Uh, Platt, to continue reading him, what the whole of the New Testament teaches is that eternal security is always a certainty. When you trust in Christ as Savior and Lord to cover over your sins and make you right before God, you are adopted into his family and you are a child forever. That is certainty to which the scripture consistently bears witness. And just as I have consistently studied in depth this, that's why I'm, I'm, this is my persuasion right now concerning this open-handed issue. But the question is, how does God keep us in the family? That is, How does God guard us from ever wandering from him? How does God preserve our salvation to the end? The answer James gives us is through you. And you. And you and me. It's through us. Eternal security is accomplished through community. How does God preserve his people? The answer is through his people. The church is one of the God-ordained means God uses to keep us faithful. God is sovereign and he does the preserving. But he does it through the church looking out for and caring for and loving one another. This is yet another reason why we ought to be involved in the lives of others in the church. God has ordained brothers and sisters who will share life with you to keep you close to him, to keep you obedient to his commands, and to preserve you until the Lord comes back. And so, you know, part of my time maybe being in the camp where it's like, no, I've seen professing Christians deny Jesus. And so I'm inclined to, I've seen pastors that I've loved that have planted churches deny Christ and go walk in 
habitual practicing unrepentant sin, not listening to our call for repentance. There's your example. But in so many of these cases, what we didn't see in those people was the church body pursuing those people so that they would be preserved. We neglect that. And so that's one reason we see people continuing to fall into the gutter and by the wayside. And yet, even then, God is faithful. One preacher said that eternal security is a community project. It's a community thing that we're walking through life with one another, sharpening one another. He also put it this way, eternal security is a family affair. It's something we live through with each other. Hebrews 3.12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So there needs to be a daily account with one another. Nothing creepy, nothing weird, nothing like ultra-confrontational. Just we're with each other. We're in community. It happens naturally, just like it does within a family. Daily. Is that something that marks your life as we've looked at how the early church worked? You would continue steadfastly in the church and daily you're involved in fellowship with one another. Does that mark your life today? Because it says here that daily you need to have somebody in your life that is exhorting you. That's not afraid to speak the truth into your life. Exhort kind of has that same meaning as to spur on. To spur on a horse that's balking and doesn't want to move. So you dig those spurs in for action to take place. When God asks Cain, his brother, in Genesis 4... When God asks Cain where his brother Abel is, after he just brutally murdered him in the field, Cain bitterly replies, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Guess what the biblical answer to that is? Yes, you are. How many of us have used that as example that we're not our brother's keeper? Well, Cain the murderer said that he wasn't his brother's keeper, so I must not be either. It's in the Bible. No, the answer is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. We use the phrase often in our core groups that we check each other's blind spots. You guys know how it is. You're driving down the road and you look in that mirror and it seems all clear. Merge left. And then you, you get the honk, you know, and you see someone swerving off the road and off into the bar pit. Probably should have checked my blind spot there, right? I mean, I think I know what's best for me, and I'm going to move forward with the decision that I think is best for me. But how wonderful when we come into the Christian community, and so often it's in core group setting and 242 group setting, when we just say, hey, we're thinking of you know, refinancing our home, and we just want to be wise in that, and we understand some of the pitfalls there, and we don't want to be consumed by this project, or, or we're thinking of buying a new truck, you know, and, and here's some things. We're con you know, will you guys pray with us and just speak into my life in this area? And, and we're just walking through things with each other. 
you know, I'm, I'm thinking of moving here, or I'm thinking of doing this, and, and, and you're just able to say, have you thought of this? Because my heart is, I really want to refinance my home. And I want to get air conditioning put in as soon as possible. I want to just drop 15 G's on that bad boy. Let's do it. You know, and then you got the brother that's like, hey, you know, just maybe here's some wisdom that you haven't thought of. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really good. I might not be able to feed my family ever again. Or, you know, thank you. I just really wanted to be cool. I believe it was Jonathan Lehman that wrote, The solution to fighting self-deception, invite discipline into your life. Ask for correction. Welcome rebuke. This is the way of humility and wisdom. Local churches exist in part to protect us from our own selves. It's the brothers and sisters around us who love us and are committed to our good that help us to see things we cannot see about ourselves. We are not the world's experts on us. We think we are, right? You don't know me. I kind of do, because you're a lot like me. One of the elders in the church, actually Chad, who we sent out, he always said, you are not the most objective one in this situation. There's a reason that you would have that opinion, and so let me just speak into your life. Left to my own devices, I am going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm going to say I prayed and maybe even pray about it, but in the end, I'm going to do what I want anyways. That's the majority of the time. Until the godly brother steps in or the sister steps in just to speak that blind spot to us, just to help us. And maybe we are supposed to go that direction, but we're to watch out for these traps and these pitfalls. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. When you find yourself not in fellowship, not among the saints, not in the word of God, guess what? When it's time to make decisions and when you're trying to wrestle through something, I guarantee a high percentage of the time, you're going to just do what you want to do anyways. Okay? And in that, you rage against all wise judgment. But Proverbs 27 Six say, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Sometimes we need someone to just say something, even though it hurts, maybe even rubs us the wrong way. Because they love us, they're going to tell us the truth in love. Our enemies, they're going to kiss us on the cheek and act like everything's good, never speaking the truth. Well, moving on in that vein, verse 20 says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Anyone, the, someone, go pursue this person who's wandered from the truth. Someone, go do it. And when someone does it, and I'll tell you, it is so encouraging to see just, just the people of the church pursuing people. That is amazing when that happens. You need to know, if that's you, you are the rescuer. I want to encourage you. 
that you have just turned a sinner from the error of his way and saved a soul from eternal death. You were part of God's plan of eternal security for that person. You were part of God covering this person from their multitude of sins. Now, we live in a culture, and perhaps it hasn't been any more evident until this last week, where it is considered rude, hateful, bigoted, and out of line to confront somebody in their sin. It's considered non-loving, even hateful, to disagree with them or to correct somebody. You're told that you're judging them. And then it's followed up with the most quoted verse of all time, taken out of context in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And they forget that within that very same chapter, Jesus says that you need to use discernment and there needs to be wisdom in understanding people and their character and where they're at in life. But we, however, follow the authority of the word of God, which tells us time and time again that we have a duty, a responsibility to our fellow brother to speak the truth into their life and to speak it in love. We have a duty to win the wanderer. Winning the wanderer is a spiritual concern. Just look in this verse. Maybe you have it before you. Maybe it's on the screen, verse 20. Wandering and falling into deception is, first of all, sin. A sin that leads to multitudes of sins. It is error, and it sends your soul to death. And that is part of why part of our membership here at this church is that now in the good times when I'm good and I'm here with you and I'm able to look into your eye and shake your hand gladiator style, I can say, brother, if you see me wandering, come get me. It's easy now, right? Well, it's all good. Because when I'm wandering and I'm in sin and I'm pursuing that woman or that substance or whatever it might be, I'm not going to want your help. Thank you very much. I can do it on my own. Judge not lest ye be judged. And part of this agreement with one another in our membership is just, it's just an understanding agreement that I want you to know while times are good right now, you need to know, come and get me. And I want you to know, I expect you to come and get me. I'm waiting for the phone call. I'm waiting for the knock on the door. Come and get me. My eternal security, the Lord sovereignly has put it in your hands. It's not only in your hands, but he's using you. I'm trusting you. Come get me. And vice versa, amen. It's so that we understand. This is not only a pastor's job. It's everybody's job. Somebody can deal with this. And you know what? In fact, by the time most things come to the pastoral level, the eggs are already smashed on the kitchen floor. And people scrape up the shells and the yolk and the white and kind of, can you put this back together? It's like, guys, let's not let it get there. Let's keep short accounts with one another. It's just living everyday life and speaking into each other's lives. 
somebody in the body knows, but doesn't do anything about it, man, we need to be able to say, ho, oh, oh, there's a cliff right there. Don't take another step forward. There's a cliff. You're going to fall. You're so close to the edge. Just take a couple steps back. Just take a couple steps back with me. And I'm so grieved this last week to be convicted as I study this. To see so many of my friends on Facebook who actually were disciples of mine. Active kids in the youth group when I was a youth pastor. Standing up in front of the youth group and sharing testimonies of God's faithfulness in their life. And as time went on and I moved to Prineville and I knew they were struggling and I knew they were wrestling with truth and wrestling with the Lord. And I just kind of said, you know what, it's not my responsibility you know, and I'd be stepping out of bounds, really. And I'm just going to, someone else will deal with that. And I can, I can fill a hand with names right now, who I'm thinking of. And, and now they've, I think they're, I think it's crumpled eggs in your hand right now. And just the Lord's been saying, it was one person in specific, like, Rory, you'd still pursue them. Still pursue them. Rory, you need to know that if you would turn this girl from the error of her way, you would be saving her soul from death. You would be part of God's plan in covering the multitude of her sins. Who comes to your mind? I believe the Holy Spirit wants to just burden us with people. And don't put it on somebody else. You. Someone. Go. Pursue them. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one who's straying? Then if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it's not the will of your Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Just active pursuit of someone who's wandered from the truth. And Matthew tells us how this can look. He says in Matthew 18, 15, this is Jesus saying, if your brother sins against you, step one is go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Just one-on-one, short little accounts here. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. So what is the purpose in pursuing somebody and and even maybe confrontation? It's not to humiliate them and show them what's what. It's to gain that brother back. It's, as James said, to win their soul, save their soul from death and to cover the multitude of their sins. But if you will not hear on that short one-on-one, step two is take with you one or two more so by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. So that everybody knows, man, the truth has been poured out into this person's life. We have begged and pleaded with them, and they are deceived. If he refuses to hear them, step three is tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even hear the church, so then the whole church just begs this person, please, we love you, you're being deceived, you're you're on the course to hell. Repent, turn from your sins. We love you, please, we want to gain you, we want to win you over. Step four is, if they don't hear that, let them be like the heathen and the tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean spit in their face and you sicko. 
What do you do with the heathen and the tax collector? You still beg with them. You still plead with them. You, you still pursue them. But it's understood, we don't consider you born again. We don't consider you a Christian. You've not heard Christ's call to repentance. In my testimony, one of my closest friends in the whole wide world, the man that really led me into deep relationship with Jesus, the, the gifting, you know how you look like your dad and talk like your dad? There's times that I, I know I've looked like him and I talk like him. He, he like imprinted his spiritual gifts on me. And Johnny also was discipled, who led worship today. Johnny was discipled by the same guy. And I hear Johnny and I go, he sounds just like this guy. Just like him. Just church planter. Really started the Calvary Chapel church planting in Brazil. An amazing man. And yet, just that drifting away began to drift and drift. Had a beautiful wife. Two beautiful kids. God had provided just a lovely home. Incredible position in a church. You know, supporting him. And just comes and just says, you know, and I notice there's distance. Why is he avoiding me at church? Seems like he's going the long way around. What's, what's going on? And one day he just comes and he, he says, I'm leaving. I'm not really going to tell you why. And moves down to California, lives in with a girlfriend, leaves his family, deals treacherously with his wife, eventually divorces her. And there was one day that he came back from California to just visit his children. And it happened to be the night of the church's prayer meeting. And so the church just went to intercession with tears and pleadings. And in the next room, a group of pastors pled with this man, please come back, please come back, would not come back. Just deceived. And I'll tell you, that was my example. Someone can leave their salvation. If there was ever a guy that was born again, that guy. And seven years went by, and I had children, and my best buddy in the whole world never knew my children, and they would see pictures of him in my office, and they'd say, who's that man? That's a dear friend of mine that has walked away from Christ. But you know what? Seven years later, or maybe, I'm sorry, it was nine years later, I get a call from this guy. And he says, the Lord has broken me and has brought me to repentance, and I am coming to Prineville to make it right with you. He's following Jesus right now. His wife has died of pancreatic cancer. I can't remember what it is. She, just on the top of my head. She's died. He's remarried. He's taken in his kids. And they're serving Jesus. Don't write off that person yet. There have been times in this church where a pastor and myself have gone up to houses and knocked on doors and heard stumbling around in the house and TVs go off. And, <laughs> and we've said, hey, it's just us. It's just your friends. We love you. It's just us. We just have come to talk. No door open. And we walked away. My friend Josh Bryant is the pastor in Burns at the Calvary. Close friend. Same thing. Guy's gone from church for two months. Where has this brother been? Just started serving on the worship team. Goes Sunday after church. Sees the TV screen glowing in the house. Just knock on the door. 
TV goes off, stumbling across the house. No answer, no answer, no answer. Text him and just says, man, I don't know what happened. I'm just here for you. If there's sin that you've fallen into, I'm here. I, I want to be part of just helping you come back to Christ. No answer. Until they're driving on the Heinz Highway past each other. And the man swerves over into Josh's lane. And Josh stops. And the man pulls up to the window and punches Josh through the trucks. Just has wandered from the truth. And sometimes we gain the brother. And sometimes we get punched in the face. But you need to know that anyone who would go and turn a sinner from the error of their way, you have saved this soul from eternal death in hell. And then what a comforting verse. And has covered a multitude of their sins. We see this all throughout the scripture. Paul, one day, shows up and Peter had been acting like a hypocrite. Right? Peter had been sitting there eating with non-Jews and eating with them. And then he sees a bunch of Jews show up and he acts like, I never knew those non-Jews. And Paul saw it happen. In Galatians 2, it says, Paul said, I went up to Peter and I confronted him to his face in front of everybody. He was to blame. He was playing the hypocrite and he was causing even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to be a hypocrite too. Love confronts. It confronts in love but it confronts. After David had an affair with Bathsheba and then killed her husband Uriah, he lived a year in secret sin, being backslidden. Until Nathan the prophet stands up to his friend and says, I got a little story for you. A rich man who had all the sheep in the world went to his neighbor who only had one little wham and loved that wham and fed it from his own dish. And he took that little lamb and he killed it to feed his traveling guest. And David said, what in my kingdom? You kill that man and take all his sheep and restore to this poor man. You know, and Nathan says, you are that man. You could have had any woman in the whole kingdom if that's really what you wanted. And you took your own mighty man of valor's special treasure, his wife. And that brought David to repentance before the Lord. God calls us to confront. It's a tough business. It's a hard business. One just final quick little story of personal testimony. My pastor Rob, who I hope you'll get to meet in just a couple weeks, he got saved as a teenager just out of total debauchery. And there was another man that got saved at the same time with him, young teenage man. And they got saved and they were being discipled and they were set on fire just on the same pace just just evangelizing and just being trained up for ministry and this man fell into sexual sin and when he stumbled man he fell hard and he was gone and he wasn't in fellowship and he was living moved in with this gal living with this gal and so rob went and per, i didn't know that was there rob went and pursued this man and same thing just Called, one answer call, wouldn't answer call, wouldn't answer call. Knocks on a door, wouldn't answer the door, wouldn't answer the door. And finally says, I know you're in there. Please answer this door. There's mercy for your sin today. And the man comes and just unlocks the door, goes back to his room and just begins bawling. And Rob just lets himself in and walks back to the bedroom and is able to preach 
forgiveness to his friend and reconciled his friend. And to this day, this friend is walking with Christ and texts Rob every year on the anniversary of that day and says, I'll never forget. I'll never forget you loved me enough to pursue me. Who's the Lord laying on your heart? Lord laid on my heart this week someone, and it wasn't necessarily deceit. You know, this person wasn't wandering from the truth, but the Lord said, you need to go to this person. You need to go to this person. So met with this person and reconciled with this person and had such a hope as I went there that kind of win that person, you know. And there wasn't necessarily the winning, but there was wonderful reconciliation. Who is the Lord calling you to pursue? Why don't we put our Bibles aside? And Johnny had to go to Young Life Camp, and so I'm just going to move over here to the guitar to close us down here. So as you're putting your things aside, you know, maybe you are here today and you're not called to go get a wanderer because you are the wanderer. And the Lord has pursued you today and he has hunted you down so that he can win you, wanderer. And as you know the parable of the prodigal son, if you would hear his voice and come back, man, the Lord even today, he sees you a long way off down the road and he's running to you to fall upon you and to embrace you. Chuck Smith used to say that if you've ever read your Bible more than you do now, if you ever told people about Jesus more than you do now, if you ever loved Jesus more than you do now, and desired to be in his presence more than you do now, then you're in a backslidden state. But Jeremiah says, come to me and I will heal your backslidings. Won't you come to the Lord today? We're going to sing a hymn written in the 18th century by a man named Robert Robinson. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Robert Robinson was born in the 1700s and he was an orphan by the time he was eight, and he fell in with a rough crowd of kind of a street gang. And one day in the street, they came into an alley, and there was a drunk gypsy woman, and they began to take her alcohol and pour it on her, kind of mocking her, saying, if you are a prophet, prophesy over us, as they did with Jesus. And and the woman looked at him and said, you will grow old to see your children and your children's children. And Robert Robinson knew just that moment. He said, man, if I'm going to grow old and to know a family and to have a family, I can't be living like this. He just was immediately convicted. He heard of George Whitfield, the Methodist preacher, preaching back then. And he wanted to go see them, but he didn't want his friends to know. And, and so he invited his friends, let's go and let's heckle George Whitfield while he's preaching. And as Whitfield is preaching, Robert was born again and saved. And the Lord began to take his heart and take his life and 
immediately calling him into the ministry to be a preacher and, and a hymn writer. And one day he was going to preach at a church and he wrote this song to go along with his message. And it has the lyrics, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Well, after he preached that message and introduced that hymn, that hymn became so popular and it would be printed regularly in newspapers. Robert Robinson backslid, began doubting God. He quit preaching and he began to live for his flesh until one day he was in a carriage and a woman was sitting across from him reading the newspaper. And she said, tell me, sir, what do you think of this song? And she began to hum the melody. And then she began to sing this verse. And as she read the verse and sang the verse, he said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. It is said that she responded by saying to him, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. Would you come today and take comfort that even today for you, you can be saved out of a multitude of your sins. You can be brought out of an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You say you're a Christian, but does your life prove that? I would plead with you to come to the fountains. They still run with fresh water today. And Lord, we grieve for those who have fallen away, Lord. But even more, God, we grieve where we have neglected to pursue them. Lord, would you give us another chance? We know we're not without sin in these ways, Lord. We have communion available today. During this hymn, we invite you who want to follow Jesus to come forward and to take the bread and the cup and to remember Jesus and how the verse says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. Let's remember the cross where he paid the ultimate price 
to purchase us from the one who kidnapped us. Sin and death. The beginning of this sermon, I asked, are you a wanderer? And if so, what are you going to do about it? I plead with you to come back today. And if you'd have never known him before today, come for the first time. Come as you're ready and partake as you're ready.